Hey guys, welcome back to the Well Said Podcast, where we are talking about following Jesus in a post-Christian culture. Uh, today is an interesting episode. I was excited to kind of talk to you guys about this. I've been getting a lot of questions about the question, uh, the issue of deconversion and deconstruction. And so today I've got a special guest with me. His name is Dennis Vizhnevsky. Is that how I pronounce it? Yep, you got it. I got it. Uh, my brother Dennis is a friend from Word of Grace Bible Church down in Vancouver. Uh, we have a connection, our church and their church. We've been down a lot. We've been um, done a lot of events. We've grown up kind of in the same theological circles. So it's cool to connect and to think together. We've done an episode with your youth pastor, Andre, right? Yep, yep. I believe that was on the issue of race. Yeah. And so Dennis is, uh, you serve in the youth ministry down there. You kind of help out and uh, you're an engineer and you are getting married soon, right? August 29th, it's coming that's, up. It's exciting, man. Congrats, that's, that's good stuff. Uh, so super excited to have you on today. Um, we are talking about this buzzword, right? Deconstruction. And people have been talking about it a lot, but for you, it's been more of a personal, probably a personal experience than a lot of people around us, right? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely lived it out. I've felt the, the joys of reconstruction, but I've also felt the pains of deconstruction. And it's a, it's been a turbulent, turbulent season, but I've, uh, it's been a lot more personal than, yeah. than many, many others, perhaps. I think it's been cool for me to talk to you about it over the last couple of weeks. And um, so what I want to do is have you share your story. How has the this, this struggle uh, been a reality in your life? What have you learned? And then we can kind of bounce off of that and just talk about some follow-up issues. Uh, so give us an overview of, of how your faith has struggled, how uh, deconstruction has been a reality for you and um, kind of what you've been learning. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite the lengthy story. So, I'll, uh, I'll work on condensing that for you. Um, I'll start with sort of where I was as a believer. Um, I was a pretty radical young believer. Um, and it might have been because, uh, I saw people around me that were perhaps immature Christians or, hypocritical Christians. And as a response to that, as soon as I got saved, I was just like, I'm going to prove everyone wrong. Like mm. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live, I'm going to go all in. And so, um, for me, that was quite simple. I mean, for me, salvation immediately and radically transformed your life. Um, you know, to be a true faithful Christian is to be concerned more with heavenly affairs than for then with worldly affairs and you know heavenly affairs being evangelism or uh, preaching and worldly affairs being entertainment for me at, at that time I was like why would you waste your time on entertainment when people need to hear the gospel why would you waste your time trying to find comfort in life when people need to hear the gospel and people need to hear uh, sound preaching and all this. And so um, I had a struggle separating what I believed and that radicalness from, um, I, I had to struggle separating um, 
that from others and not judging other people for not having that same radicalness uh, as, as I would call it for myself. And so I prayed to God for humility. I prayed to him for um, meekness and for him to help me not to judge others. But that was just a part of my life as a young believer. That wasn't even a year after I got saved that I started, you know, this radical path towards trying to really advance in Christianity, advance in ministry, whether that be evangelism or preaching or just, um, just doing a lot for God's kingdom and trying to limit the amount of time that I'm um, uh, involved in those worldly affairs, as I call them. And so um, to me, scripture was quite simple. Like I treated it as a systematic theology that had clear, radical, really unidirectional answers on how life should be lived. On, uh, and if somebody wasn't living up to that, uh, then they're un- an unfaithful Christian or they just don't know their Bible well. And so mm. that was this sort of re- very simple, I would say, um, unidirectional faith. Like this, if you're if you're not like this, then something's wrong with you. And I mean, I, I'm think I guess this that was expected for a young believer with no life experience, right? And right. To jump jump into this and react against all the, um, all the hypocrites or all the lukewarm Christians that I thought I saw. And so, um, this was my, it might be also a combination of my personality with all those things, but, um, and then I just saw that, you know, greatness in ministry goes hand in hand with, you know, being faithful to God. So if you're not advancing, if you're not doing a lot for God's kingdom, if you're not, you know, devoting 90% of your time for, those heavenly affairs rather than worldly, um, then something's wrong with you or, or you're just not being faithful enough to God. And so, um, it was, I, I think it was just so new to me, the whole Christian lifestyle and the whole, uh, Christian religion or faith having, um, been an unbeliever, having grown up in the church still, but, uh, then coming into this new faith and, you know, wanting to just dramatically change everything mm. um, and really having a, a, a poor view, a lacking view of progressive sanctification. Right. Um, and so I saw myself advancing in ministry. We had this mall evangelism ministry that uh, I would attend weekly on Saturdays. And there we would just approach people and, uh, in the Ray comfort style, share the gospel to them and um, really ask them about their life, but then um, ask them about whether they live up to the commandments of God and then um, bring, bring the gospel to them. Um, And other than that, you know, I was getting ready to go on a mission trip. I was getting ready to basically um, pursue actually theological education, basically wanted to be, and I've thought about this. Um, I wanted to be uh, the next Paul Washer. And hmm. it, might, it might sound silly, right? But to me, it was like, well, God can use somebody as simple as Paul Washer. You know, Paul Washer wasn't any big name before, you know, before um, he, he got involved in the heart cry ministry and then his influence spread, right? So why can't God do that to me? Why can't God use me to influence thousands, hundreds of thousands or even more? And so I was like, this is the way that the Holy Spirit is leading me. And this is the direction of my life. 
And so um, just really pursuing different avenues to uh, get to that point, praying to God for humility, you know, God help me not to pursue greatness in ministry, help me to pursue you and, and really reaching people and uh, spreading the gospel. Uh, but then at one point, as I was evangelizing at the mall, I encountered, um, I, I just kept on encountering people with pretty difficult life stories, with pretty difficult life situations that involved abuse, that involved um, maybe a very poor understanding of Christianity and uh, just being drawn into perhaps the um, the comfort uh, lifestyle um, or, mm -hmm. or the prosperity Christianity. And so, um, you know, these people, and I looked at them and I'm like, well, they almost couldn't help themselves land where they are in life um, mm -hmm. to experience abuse, to experience all these things and not hear the gospel clearly presented. And then, um, then they would get to eternity and God would hold them accountable and send them to eternal hell. And so that's the way that the, a, a question or confusion entered my mind. And so I didn't know how to process the fact that uh, God, the doctrine that God sends people to hell for eternity um, based on living a life um, of sin, perhaps, but to me at that time, it didn't make, it didn't make much sense that, right. you know, these people are just a, a product of their society. And so um, that really, really uh, shook me up uh, that question, you know, and I didn't really know how to process it. So I decided to suppress it. I thought, you know, this is just maybe a, this is a satanic attack against me, right? Like, and then I continue to go and evangelize and I continue to uh, share the gospel with people, um, suppressing that side of things, hoping that it would just go away, hmm. but it didn't. Um, as I encountered more and more people um, and I, I just stood, at, you know, on the balcony of the mall watching all these people and just thinking, do I really believe that um, God will, will, will judge these people for eternity? And, so to me, that seemed, you know, ununderstandable. That, that seemed uh, so confusing. And that really was the beginning of my season of doubt. So it started with doubting the justice of God, but I wouldn't say doubting God's character, more doubting, is that really who God is? Huh. And so, um, you know, that doubt spread um, as expected to just, you know, wondering is the God of Christianity really the God um, who is true? So I didn't doubt that if the God of Christianity is true, then he's just. I doubted, well, this doesn't seem just to me. So maybe the God of Christianity isn't the real God. And so um, that spread to more fundamental doctrines of Christianity um that um and as all this was progressing as the doubt festered and grew and got deeper um i as a young believer tried to understand why and uh, tried to perhaps find personal sin as the cause of why my faith was being shaken up so severely um and so um 
you know, personal sin, like, oh, it's probably just too proud in ministry, or mm. uh, I was just judging people too much. And so um, continually prayed for God to purify my motives, to um, strengthen me and to basically return me to a more strong faith. And throughout this whole process, as my uh, season of doubt and really crisis of faith deepened, uh, I prayed a lot, studied apologetics, and I even um, emailed Christianity's uh, biggest minds, you know, and, and even got the privilege of speaking to R.C. Sproul personally and bringing up the topic of um, hell and the justice of God. And um, I didn't really receive the answer I wanted is, you know, I received more of a Romans one answer. Well, all people are, uh, all people know that there's a God, so it's not in, unjust for God to punish them. And so for me, that didn't satisfy me and then emailed certain uh, other figures like William Lane Craig, Gary Habermas, um, RZIM, I contacted them and uh, got various answers, but the the crisis of faith was so deep at this point that it seemed like no answer really hit at the heart of what I was going through. Um, Interesting. Sorry, just I want to interrupt you just for a second. Yeah. Um, because your season of doubt, it was it was started in the midst of a very sincere life. You know, mm -hmm. it seems like you know. I think that that's important to hear that. Like. Um, you were doing everything. It seems like, you know, checking all the boxes in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't something that came out, uh, because you were super not serious about your faith. Uh, it, you had all the right motives and you were working, you were administering, you were serving, you were pursuing God. And in the midst of that, you get hit by this kind of something that you completely didn't see coming, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, faith and uh, the, the strength of it isn't dependent on your actions or isn't dependent on how good of a Christian you are. And that's, you know, one of the takeaways that I have from this is that God is the giver of faith. And when he wants to um, shake your faith or let it deconstruct, if perhaps it's misguided or in the wrong posture, mm -hmm. then he will do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I like I want to hear a little bit more about this transition between being so confident and then being in a place where you're really just full of doubt. You know, you were mm -hmm. saying it, it it came in with an idea, right? Like the experience talking to people, like in a sense, your baby faith, your your perfectly uh like check mark, you know, theological having all your theological boxes checked your perfect faith came into contact with the messiness of reality. Mm -hmm. And then as that happened, um, new questions intellectually started to arise that started to, uh, started to make cracks in your confidence. Right. Yeah. And I think that's because uh, my faith was structured in a way where it was all or nothing. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. if, if not every part of Christianity, if not everything that I heard from the pulpit of the preachers that, that I was listening to from the, from my theological camp was true, then, um, then none of it's true. Or 
even though I'd never, I wouldn't claim that or I wouldn't say that back then, that's how it was structured. To me, right. it was all very, very simple. It was all intertwined together. And uh, if you just believed otherwise, you perhaps just didn't have the right hermeneutic or you were a weak Christian or, you know, I, I, it was hard to process. I wouldn't have everything that I believed back then um, spelled out. Right. But that's, that's to me, it was like, if you throw out one thing, you have to throw out the baby with the bath water, water. It was all intertwined. Yeah. That, that really makes sense though, because it's like, how does a person go from such confidence to such doubt? One of those characteristics is seeing everything as one inseparable thing. Mm-hmm. And if you mess with one little piece, you, the whole thing falls apart. And that's, that is a, that is a flaw. Uh, but, but it's a flaw that many of us w- don't even think about in our faith. We don't, we don't think about our faith as composed of uh, maybe first order doctrines and second order doctrines and third mm-hmm. level doctrines. Anyways, that's a whole side thing, but that's very interesting to see like you go from zero to 60 in one direction and then kind of like just full stop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, that you mentioned that because um, throughout church history, um, the the traditional view of hell, the eternal conscious torment view, was uh, was the uh, considered the orthodox view, and, and and was held by far by by most um, by most minds in the church. But we see figures that question that or that hold to different views on that. You know, C.S. Lewis held to a different view. Um, especially thinkers back in the first century held to different views. So. Um, as I would argue, that's not a gospel. That's not a gospel issue. That's not a first tier doctrine. Some may disagree with me on that, but it seems like you know that's the avenue through which the season of doubt crept into my my life. And so, and that's not to say that um, I I wouldn't have doubted um, the primary doctrines if that um, hadn't happened. Uh, because I do think that God had a specific reason uh, to allow this season of doubt uh, into my life. But that's just an interesting observation about how my faith was structured and that every doctrine, no matter how primary, no matter how important, um, seemed to me like inseparable from Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw it as a very simple uh, faith in that way. So talk about the season of doubt. What uh, how did it proceed? How did it feel like what was going on? How long did it go? What did it include? Yeah. I mean, um, it lasted for a total of seven years and that's seven years of prayer. That's seven years of, um, reading all sorts of books, all sorts of apologetics, listening to debates, considering other religions. I mean, I, I, in a matter of a year or a year and a half, perhaps I came to the point where I was really agnostic on, you know, where to find truth um, because this, this doubt and, and this unbelief, this, this um, season, this crisis of faith festered into uh, the very cores of Christianity, doubting the scripture, doubting um, if God is who he says he is, if Jesus is divine and all these things. So it really spread to the core of every, of everything. 
And so, um, you know, you ask, you know, how did it progress? It's interesting because not only did I um, reach out to other people um, outside of my own church, but I was also asking questions and having regular meetings with my own pastors and mentors. Um, but the interesting thing is that um, I did not feel like I could be fully transparent. Hmm. Uh, I didn't feel like I had the space to, um, to explain that I was in, a, in an all-out crisis of faith and I was agnostic as to whether Christianity is true. You know, we often hear in our circles that doubt is a normal part of Christian life, that um, it's acceptable and we need to wrestle with questions. Um, but there's almost this expectation that after you wrestle, you pretty much have to come back to the same um, beliefs in the primary, secondary, and tertiary um, levels. And so not only that, but um, to me, I did not understand and I did not have a category for such a deep season of doubt and such deep agnosticism and um, struggling. And so um, that, you know, it's, it's like, I knew that my pastors and my mentors would, you know, be gracious, would, they wanted to hear from me, but something was holding me back. It's like, to me, it seemed like there's just, that's unacceptable for a believer. I never heard of somebody pretty much getting to the point where they're unsure about the core doctrines of Christianity or even unsure if Christianity or Islam or Judaism or some philosophy is, is the right worldview. And so um, for me, I did, just didn't feel like I had that space. Um, and so I basically told, told them enough without saying too much. I hmm. told, told them enough to give them a chance to, uh, to answer my questions. I constantly brought up questions, but no answer seemed intellectually satisfying for me, especially in, in the areas of doubt that I had. Um, and so, you know, that really brought together a very deep uh, season of pain a very deep season of loneliness where I didn't feel like I could share uh, with, uh, with my closest people or really with anyone, the level uh, to which I was doubting. I, anyone I would email outside of my church, I would let them know like, Hey, I'm in a crisis of faith. I don't know what to believe. Can you help me with this? But I was not honest with the people in my circles um, and so to me, there, you know, it came to the point where I really thought there were only four options for my spiritual state. One, I was pro I was either still a believer and God was allowing me to go through just a very deep, <clears throat> deep season of doubt. But to me, that seemed less and less likely as time progressed, as you know, the depth of the doubt progressed and, uh, as, as time went on and just, uh, for such a long time, not hearing any answers from God, just feeling, you know, like you're in the desert and God is just not there. Hmm. So um, to me, that seemed less and less likely. Option two for me was that um, I probably deceived myself, but that also seemed like, you know, um, an, an unlikelihood because of how, um, I, how much I experienced God and how close I was to God 
before my uh, season of doubt started, you know, how, how far I advanced in ministry and all this. And so for me, it was like, there's no way that that was fake. You know, I, I, I experienced it in such a strong way. Hmm. Um, option three was that our theological camp is wrong on, uh, on perseverance of the saints. You know, maybe I just lost my salvation. Right. Um, and the last option to me was that uh, Christianity, Christianity is simply false and I need to, um, I need to find truth elsewhere. Right. Hmm. And so, you know, the possibility of the, um, of the option that I deceived myself or I lost my salvation to me seemed like too much to bear because with that, there's so much judgment that, um, that comes on me. Right. And so here I am in the church. I can't open up about, <clears throat> about my season of doubt. And, um, and yet I'm still seen as a Christian. So I must, you know, every, everything that I do is under the lens from church members and I might be influencing them while not actually being a believer. So that, that uh, along with just the, the confusion, the turmoil, and just going from being such a strong believer as I thought to, you know, to, uh, completely losing faith to me was just too much to bear. And that brought with it so much depression, loneliness. Um, I didn't even know to call it depression mm. at that time, but looking back, that's what it was. You're just, you know, in the desert with no hope, no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and so for me that continued for, for quite, quite a long time. And I, I have a couple of notes, a couple of quotes here from my, journal at that time um just kind of showing how you know i was i was experiencing the such a strong and painful spiritual and emotional season that i didn't know it was possible you know just a quote from my journal says you know the the worst type of trials and colon when you're suffering from school trials mental trials physical trials and you have no ability to hope in God because you're also suffering from faith trials, right? Like mm. if, if I had God, if I had, you know, faith in him, that he was in control, all those trials, I'd be able to put in a box. God is in control. I could trust in him. But then when you're suffering from trials of faith, you have no idea what, what in the world is going on. Um, another quote is just very simple. It just says, uh, I am destroyed. My life is miserable. All faith and hope is lost. So, you know, I reached the point where multiple times I've, I prayed to God to basically take my life. You know, I said, God, if there's no hope for me, just let me die. I, um, I don't really see a point in living. If all I can do is just store up more and more judgment from you, then, you know, let me give this mercy to me and let me die basically. Um, and then in 2018, um, when basically the, the weight and the depth of my trials reached such an immense level that, um, I couldn't really bear it no more. Um, you know, that, that came with the thought of like, you know, if I truly open up, I'm going to get excommunicated probably because I didn't really know that I had the space to be in such a deep season of, of distress and of agnosticism and, and, and just wrestling with God, seeking him, and um, praying daily, you know, or, you know, at least, at least praying multiple times a week and trying to keep up 
that fellowship with the church, trying to attend home groups constantly, trying to reach out to people with my questions, praying to God and hearing silence. To me, that was just too much to bear. And then, you know, thinking that, uh, you know, if I open up, I might, <clears throat> I might get excommunicated or, um, you know, and what that would cost to my family, to my, to my close ones and kind of the, the, the stumbling that that would cause to maybe people who saw, saw me as this great Christian and now he's fallen type of thing. And so, you know, the pain and the distress reached such a point that, um, I really had two options that I was considering either moving away to a different church and starting from a new slate, moving away to a different state, you know, attending a new church, starting over, um, and basically coming into that church and saying, Hey, I don't really know what I believe. Can you guys guide, <clears throat> guide me and help me? Right. Um, but you know, the second option was to just say, just say it all and mm. spill, spill the beans, spill everything to my pastors and mentors and let the chips fall where they may. Right. Um, or let the cards fall where they may. And so, uh, I have a, a, um, journal entry, you know, called the, deci the decision in my journal mm. where I was basically deciding the pros and cons, the pros and cons of each. And so, um, um, and so for me, that was, um, one, the, those were the two options. And after writing everything out, I really saw more positives in the second option and just letting everything out. And, and, you know, if excommunication, just God, you know, you know, uh, the answer, you know, the way, you know, um, you know what to do. And so the, the ending of that uh, journal entry says, uh, I cannot carry this burden anymore. I give it, I give it to God. And so I ended up writing an open letter to my pastors and mentors and basically saying um, everything about my state, about my fears, about all the um, basically that I, I'm losing faith. I don't really know what is the truth anymore. And so to my surprise, I was uh, met with grace and gentleness, you know, and that just that's just the grace of God. Um, because of the church that, you know, that I was in, you know, for other people, it may not have turned out that way. Right. But by God's grace, I was in a church that, um, that knew, knew the Bible, uh, preached, preaches scripture faithfully and knows that uh, crises of faith are something that, uh, believers go through. And so to me, that was such a relief. I just felt like a burden fell off my shoulders and I proceeded, um, in my, in my, um, studies and my, um, prayer and, and, and all of my pursuits of seeking God, um, without the, you know, the loneliness, without the depression, without the fear of, you know, God just being so judgmental over me. And so, you know, all those ideas that I developed in myself throughout that whole season, um, to me, looking back, they're so crazy. They're so unbiblical. Um, but you know, about God's judging me, God's, you know, the, the fact that I'm just um, this terrible influence on everyone. And so because of my doubt doubts, and if I'm not a believer, you know, I'm just incurring more and more judgment. Like right. those were so off base. 
but the fact that I, I was so closed up and lonely, um, I didn't have other believers to help me think through those things. I didn't have, um, and, and, you know, that caused a lot of suffering, that loneliness, that depression. Um, but then, you know, it's interesting. That, Sorry. I want to interrupt you for a sec. Um, you know, I think that when people think about this whole subject, they don't consider the emotional toll, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that when people have, you know, the young guy questioning his faith, they think he's just being, you know, too smart or, you know, like he's, mm -hmm. there's no understanding of the emotional weight of seeing cracks in your beliefs and not not having control over being able to contain those cracks. Mm -hmm. It's not just intellectual. There's a deep spiritual, emotional, like turmoil and anxiety that comes along mm -hmm. with that. Right. I think yeah. that people get super defensive sometimes when somebody else is questioning their faith because they feel like they're being attacked when it's not even the case. This person is just genuinely trying to ask questions. Now, obviously there are different kinds of people who question in different ways, but um, I think this component, what you're saying about the heaviness, the darkness is oftentimes totally uh, misunderstood. And the, the, here's the funny part is when people go through it, they experience it. But then when they're experiencing mm -hmm. it, they can't, they can't feel like they can share and get understanding on it. Mm -hmm. um, and so we got so many Christians suffer alone in the dark mm -hmm. unnecessarily. The other yeah. question I had in this dark season and you, what's interesting is you keep saying that you kept praying, you kept seeking, you kept reading, you kept showing up to church and like, that's a long time to keep doing that. What, why did you keep going? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to come off like it's, you know, it was constant for all those seven years, right? right? Like I had seasons where it became uh, burdensome and, you know, I, I sort of drifted away from that, but then I knew I had to come back. And so um, I think in a big way to me, that was, you know, due to the depth of my um, experience prior to my season of doubt um, just a, such as, and I'm so thankful to my church for this, um, and, and just the people in our theological circles and basically understanding and such a fundamental reality about, uh, who God is, how holy he is, how, um, humans need to have a, uh, fear of the Lord, um, need to, um, love the Lord with all their heart. And also for me, what was really embedded into my mind was the, um, you know, back then I believed that, you know, earthly matters are everything having to do with, with ministry and, uh, or sorry, or, heavenly matters had everything to do with ministry and then earthly matters were entertainment. But at least what that left um, for me was just a heaven mindedness and a, and, and a reality and an understanding that, eternal matters are so important mm, and so mm -hmm. crucial. So for me, you know, to just simply drift away um, and distance myself from the church, I understood that that would limit me and would, would really um, 
would really cut me off from, you know, from experiencing the grace of God. And, you know, in, in many ways, um, the pastors who were, who were mentoring me were telling me the same thing. Like, you can't just pursue this from an intellectual standpoint. You need to be under the influence of uh, the Holy Spirit through the disciplines of grace, mm-hmm. through uh, fellowship with believers, through praying, through reading, and so on and so forth. So it's pretty much a combination of those things. Yeah. So talk about this season of restoration. How did it happen? And do you think that your reconstruction period was really precipitated by just the act of like, just coming out and saying like, Hey guys, I'm in faith crisis, FYI, um, help. Or, or, or was it that plus kind of the providential timing of God? Yeah, I think it's, definitely that plus God's providence because, um, you know, after I came out and basically said where I was at, um, and I received encouragement and hope and prayer, you know, I didn't, you know, begin the reconstruction process for another two years, right? What I was able to do though, is move forward with a uh, without the baggage of the emotional turmoil and the stress and the anxiety which really affects the way Mm. that your your mind works right and so i wasn't thinking straight during those times of doubt and depression and um and you know trying to find intellectual answers in the midst of depression in the midst of uh, mental suffering is very, very uh, difficult and I would say impossible. So now it seemed like I had the opportunity to do that without that baggage. And so, you know, I continued my, um, the process of seeking answers, intellectual answers, uh, continuing to pray and um, be in the church, but it wasn't for another two years until God would actually, <laughs> would actually start to reconstruct my faith. So it was in June of 2020. So last year, um, not not more than uh, it was only it was only about a year ago that God started to uh, to work. And so I, I basically came to the point where my intellectual pursuits dis- disappointed me. I uh, admitted to myself and to my close friends that you know um, I cannot become a Christian based on intellectual pursuits based on arguments, debates, um, evidences, because I, I saw no hope in building a coherent worldview based on that. Um, and so I basically told, you know, my close friend, Andrew Gorman, who, who also was the youth pastor in our church, um, and to myself, really, like, I'm, I'm an agnostic, and if God doesn't um, doesn't start acting right now, or if he doesn't restore my faith in a supernatural way, um, by his grace, then I don't see myself ever being a Christian. And so, um, I don't think that that God was waiting for me to say that in order Mm -hmm. to start working, uh, because I've said similar things in the past, but it happened that God started to work. Like that was the point where uh, where God decided to start rebuilding one brick at a time, re- the reconstruction pro- process. And so it started, you know, I still remember sitting, you know, at our Bible study and uh, reading and studying the book together called The Things of Earth by 
uh, Joe Rainey. And so um, it really showed the beauty of the Christian message. And it really showed to me that Christianity had the most coherent understanding and the most beautiful uh, worldview and an explanation of the creative order and how humans experienced it. So it wasn't like Christianity is true because of this argument or this argument or this argument and just showed the beauty of how Christianity encompasses um, our life and our world so much better than anything else. So that was pretty much the first break in the rebuilding process. And then after that, it was, uh, and in the meantime, it was also John Piper's sermons um, that his, his stressing of finding joy in God and being satisfied in him and seeing uh, how the Christian God and um, the gospel, Jesus Christ through the gospel, uh, and in everyday life, just is so much more satisfying. And it's like our hearts are built to have God at the center. We have, you know, as many theologians would say, we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts that only he can fill. And so to me, all of a sudden, um, the, the, the biblical worldview and its beauty, along with the beauty of the gospel message of how wrong the world is and how broken it is and um, how beautiful uh, the gospel is as an explanation of that. Um, it started to shape my, uh, it started to reshape that, um, that faith and it started to build in a new way. And so, um, you know, all those things combined with time, combined with fellowship with, uh, with the people around me um, and just, experiencing God's grace, um, coming to tears again at God's salvation, at the fact that my sins are forgiven, how beautiful and how coherent of a story that is, how um, the biblical worldview encompasses morality, it encompasses the meaning of life, it encompasses our destiny, and it has the most beautiful and coherent um, explanation of that, and has the best explanation of of a family of you know marriage right like marriage doesn't make sense in any other worldview um in in atheism it makes zero sense why would you be married if you can have all the pleasure um you know all that, that you that you want right um, in other worldviews there's just there's a lot of um that masculine suppression of women and all this stuff whereas christianity brings such a beautiful and sacrificial relationship, um, such a beautiful and sacrificial worldview into this relationship and just experiencing believers, um, their lives, their families, and all of this just had such a tremendous impact on me. Um, and, you know, here was a guy who was a skeptic with no hope of believing based, based on intellectualism, now believing the gospel, believing that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So you started with intellectual doubts, but the solution to this was not just to throw out intellect and say, well, intellect doesn't matter because intellect matters. The facts matter. Logic matters. History matters, right? But it it was to say, wait a minute, not only intellect, but let's zoom out and let's see the full 
picture of the reality of the Christian story. Don't look at it as, as an encyclopedia. Look at it as a story and ask yourself, which story is most true to reality, yep. right? Yeah, like, exactly. If you are going to... You're, if you're going to hyperanalyze one chapter in the Lord of the Rings novels, right, you might find a lot of weird inconsistencies or incongruencies. But when you zoom out and you take in the whole story, that's when you see the full power and kind of convincing nature of the truth embedded in it, right? And I think yeah. what you're saying about the beauty of Christianity um, and Joe Rigney's book, you know, I've been recommending that book for a couple of years. And that's really, it's really interesting. And it's really cool to like, I think, cause lots of times people get hung up on the, like the intellectual questions, like how could God punish people? And then they're just fixated right there. And that's like, yes, that's heavy. And that's a hard question. Let's not dodge that, but let's also zoom out and say, okay, but when we're seeking the faith, when we're seeking answers, we're not just seeking answers to specific formulas. We're seeking answers that speak most truly to reality, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. to be captivated by the, the beauty of the gospel and connect the beauty of the story of the gospel, how full it is to the facts of history. That's when you start to see the force of the, the Christian faith. So I think that's kind of a, yeah, exactly. I think that's an interesting kind of element that I think when people talk about deconstruction, they, they talk about doubt and proof and, you know, but, but they, they oftentimes what is missed is, okay, what's the way back? What is, what is real faith look like? Real faith does not mean that you're going to have the answers to every single question because uh, we are finite creatures. Mystery is inevitable. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to demystify everything because we are not all knowing. Uh, so if we set that expectation differently and say, which is most true to reality, and you look at the gospel from that angle, uh, you get a whole new blast sort of, of power from the biblical worldview. Yeah. And, and that's, that's so true. Um, I think to me, um, what formed that new approach in a big way, it was just the providence of God, but, um, you know, the tools that he used were men like Francis Schaeffer um, and uh, uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, they, you know, Francis Schaeffer is big on this worldview approach towards uh, Christianity and the all-encompassing approach, taking worldviews and, the, and their implications, um, you know, and, and analyzing our beliefs through that uh c.s lewis in the same way he he is more on the bringing the the um beauty about christian bringing the beauty that christianity draws out of the world um and and analyzing things through that and um you know the way that c.s lewis speaks about it in one of his books is that uh christianity enchants things with meaning you know we look at a tree we look at a family we look at you know um, the stars above, right? And they're just so filled with meaning if Christianity is true. And that's so appealing because, you know, when you take atheism or other religions to their, um, to their final conclusions and to their, um, to their extremes, or probably not even extremes, but more to, you know, where they lead, 
then um, it's a very, very, um, it's just a sad picture of reality. And right. so to me, to me, that that's a, a big way of what God, of how God used um, the, that type of apologetics, which I believe that, you know, um, is apologetics to bring me and to rebuild my faith. And I just see how, you know, the Holy spirit was such a huge part of that, not even part of that, but was the driving force because passages that I was reading before and that would cause me to stumble. Now, you know, I had tears over as I was looking at the gospel in such a new way, looking at the gospel and seeing it so beautiful. And so, um, you know, here I was, you know, towards the latter part of last year or really towards the end of the summer uh, of last year, um, having a genuine, genuine faith, right. And a faith, um, that was different, uh, in its posture and, um, than, than my previous faith, mm-hmm. uh, than the faith that was, that was deconstructed, you know, I was postured to be more nuanced and more quick to listen to other people's experiences after going through such a traumatic experience of my own, that just caused me to be more nuanced in, you know, you know, somebody who's struggling with depression or somebody who is um, in a season of, you know, of unbelief or a season or some, even somebody who has questions about um, their sexuality or Christianity's views on that, you know, being quick to listen rather than to preach at them and shut down conversations. Um, You know, that's interesting. Can I interject again? I think that word, when we were talking on the phone, we highlighted that word posture Mm -hmm. because you're coming back, you're coming back within probably maybe even in some sense, a more convinced like uh, faith Mm-hmm. Uh, more rooted, more confident. And yet in that confidence, um, there's a different posture. It's not that you're holding on to your ideas lightly and saying, well, I'm just going to consider mm-hmm. everything now. No, you, 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 you now believe things, but the way you approach people, the way you respond, the quickness, the severity, the intensity, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's a different posture that, that you stand in, in relationship to people who you disagree with. Um, and I think that that's mm-hmm. such an important highlight there, right? Um, the doubt yeah. shaped you not to be an, a forever doubter, a forever skeptic, but it shaped your heart and your sensitivity to, to the reality of human hearts, right? Right. And, you know, I really did come back to the same core beliefs that I had before, um, and the way that God brought me back to that is, like I said, seeing that Christian worldview as more beautiful than any other, as more convincing and coherent, and seeing that the core tenets of that worldview cannot be thrown out uh, in order to make that worldview work. So I didn't believe the, you know, the, that the scriptures and the inspired word of God because I could test it and I could um, I could test it in the lab and give you the evidences of that. You know, I can't prove to you um, intellectual level that the scripture is the word of God, but I see that um, if the scripture is the word of God, it enables this worldview that is so beautiful and so all encompassing. 
So same with the gospel, same with Jesus dying on the cross, um, same, same with the Trinity, right? And so um, that is how God brought me back to that. But it's, it's, it's a new posture, like you're mentioning. Um, it's, and, and it's a new posture that is, allows um, for people to have different opinions than I do. Even on the core things, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm agreeing with them but I'm a lot more willing to listen and to be God's tool in their life in a more gentle way than I was before where I, you know, my faith wasn't my own. It was the faith that I heard from the pulpit or, um, or, or elsewhere. And so um, I basically believed things wholesale as divine facts spoken from the mouths of preachers rather than having wrestled and uh, fought and, um, come to a faith that I could truly call my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, another aspect of my, um, of, of my new faith, you know, the, that God had reconstructed was just an understanding that God alone gives faith, that it's not something that um, we can take for granted or say that, you know, I'm, I'm a more faithful Christian if um, I, you know, have enough faith to go across the world and, 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 uh, evangelize the lost. Right. So that was a big, big part of that. Just that humility that God, and really, a, I would say a more complete view of God's sovereignty in that way. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's another thing, um, you know, more sympathy for believers and more open-mindedness uh, to, you know, more second and third tier doctrines, right. Like not holding on to them that, if this isn't true, though, you could throw the whole thing out. But honestly, reconsidering certain second and third tier doctrines, um, and you know, I didn't land in the same, you know, camps on all things that I that I had, you know, landed before. But um, I would say the core beliefs and the most important gospel beliefs, I are are the same because you can't throw those out and have christianity so right yeah man i think that it's so so cool to see how your story also highlights that there are different ways to doubt there are healthy ways to doubt and there are very unhealthy ways to doubt deconstruction can Mm -hmm. be it could be toxic in our age there are some people who are deconstruction who are just they're they're pouring acid on everything and they're not Mm -hmm. concerned about uh, gaining a coherent view of life, they're maybe responding to some form of abuse or anger or something. And that doubt is not actually seeking uh, answers in humility. It's got this confidence that I could burn the whole thing down and I could figure out a new way. And the problem with that is that you're you're becoming more fundamentalist than you were when you started because you think mm-hmm. you could figure out all the answers without anyone's help. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with in your story, we could see that doubt can be healthy when it is uh, submitted, when it's transparent, when it's acknowledging its limitations, you know? And I think that yeah. it highlights the, the power of being able to doubt in community uh, in, in the church, we need to make space to ask hard questions, to not be afraid, to not be insecure, to not be shaken off course. We're finite people. There's things that we can question and doubt. The Bible doesn't tell every little detail and it leaves a space for mystery because that's what keeps us humble. That's what keeps us clinging to mm-hmm. God. 
that's that's what keeps us saying, you know, God, I can have all these logical arguments, but I need to experience you, God. Like I need you. I need you in my life. And that's um, that that causes us to cultivate a more humble and genuine faith rather than a faith of just black and white answers kind of notched in our machine gun to, to mm -hmm. argue in the culture wars, you know? Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm indebted to the, the, my pastors and mentors, um, and, you know, just to, to scripture really, right. You know, for those, um, for those fundamental beliefs, um, you know, in God's sovereignty, having the fear of the Lord, um, and all these things, um, and, you know, the necessity of prayer, really those fundamental, um, doctrines and fundamental practices that need to be present to, in a, in somebody who's seeking after God. So I really, I was, you know, in some ways I was, you know, equipped for this search in other ways I was ill-equipped, which caused a lot of pain and suffering. But, um, yeah, overall, I'm, I'm just thankful to God because I know that it was the most loving and it was the most necessary thing for my life because I look at myself now, I look at my faith now and I look at, you know, the person I've become, right. Um, I would not be able to enter a healthy, loving marriage relationship um if i was the person i was before hmm. you know and, and and god has blessed me so much and i just see his hand and leading my life to this point where you know he has formed me and uh, he has you know given me such an amazing fiance and we can enjoy marriage with all the um with all the struggles and the and, and the difficulties but also with all the joys you know that we can see through this beautiful beautiful faith of ours and yeah. so i'm just so excited about that so cool man there's so much more we can address but i think that that there's so much encouragement there i think that that's a great place to kind of wrap up for today i think that it gives people a perspective that man you can struggle you can have go through these dark seasons and then you can come out so much brighter than you could ever have imagined um understanding that God is with us in, in the challenging seasons and in the prosperous seasons, but also understanding that there's a healthiness to questioning. There's a healthiness to asking mm -hmm. hard questions and not just shoving them under the rug, you know, and as a church, we can do better to cultivate that. So man, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, let us know, reach out, um, hit us up on Instagram. That's the main area where I'm kind of active. Uh, the Well Said podcast, and then also well-said.org. That's kind of the online home for um, for the podcast. We'd love to hear what you guys think. We're probably going to, you know, turn, zoom back around and ask more questions about this issue uh, and have more conversations. But thank you so much for listening to us, watching us if you're watching on YouTube, and we will back to talk uh, to talk to you guys again soon. Mm -hmm.